Greetings, friends and brethren. Welcome to Voice in the Wilderness. I'm Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries, and I welcome you today with exceedingly great joy. Last week, we were in 1 Corinthians 11. We were talking about the Lord's Supper, and Paul gives very clear instructions about that. Of course, we know back in uh, Matthew 26, Jesus at the Passover is instructing the disciples about uh, the bread and the wine, and Paul just gives us a little more clarification. Now, I talked a little bit about that toward the end of the program, and I want to just go over a few things that I feel are very important about the Lord's Supper. You can call it the Lord's Table. You can call it the Eucharist, or you can just plain call it Communion. But I want to add a little something to this, uh, not to God's word, but some some uh, explanation that I think you might find helpful. So let's just pray. Father, we just thank you that we have such instruction in the Holy Word from the Apostle Paul concerning one of the most important ordinances, if not the most important ordinance in the whole Bible. Father, we just ask that you would come today and Holy Spirit as the teacher of the Word, teach us, instruct us, help us gather this information that we may be able to walk in the light as he is in the light, that we may be able to take of this most precious ordinance called the Lord's Table or the Lord's Supper, and know that, Father, when we do that, we are being reminded of the Lord's death. So I bless each listener today, and I thank you, Father, for giving revelation and understanding and wisdom regarding these scriptures today in Jesus' name. Amen. So what I'm specifically talking about is 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 32. And Paul starts out straight out talking about whoever eats or drinks of the cup of the Lord, he's talking about communion in an unworthy manner, will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. A couple things I want to talk about. What did Christ do for us through his blood? We are, um, when we take communion, we're taking of the body of Christ and thanking him for, when we take of the cup, we're taking of, uh, reminding ourselves of what the blood of Jesus did for us. In Acts 20, 28, it says, To be shepherds of the church of God, which he, Christ, purchased with his own blood. So we know that Christ purchased the church with his own blood. That's important to know that the church of God was purchased with his own blood. Romans 5, 9 says, Since we have now been justified by his blood, now much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him. So we're justified. We're made righteous, just as if we never sinned, by the blood of Jesus. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says, To him, Christ, who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. 
So we've been freed from sin by the blood of Jesus. An important thing that we want to remember when we take communion. Hebrews 9.14 How much more then will the blood of Christ cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? So the blood of Jesus um, cleanses our conscience from evil acts that would lead to death. Colossians chapter 1, 19 through 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So he made peace through the blood shed on the cross. Ephesians two thirteen. But now, in Christ Jesus, you are, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We brought, we have been brought near to Christ through the blood. And 1 John 1, 7 says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from every sin, now, I have left out some scriptures in that specific scripture and as well in Colossians. I just shortened it just to give us, uh, just wanted to highlight what the blood of Jesus has done for us. So, what has Jesus accomplished by his blood? He bought the church. He justifies us. He freed us from our sins. He cleanses our conscience from acts that lead to death. He made peace between God and us. He brought us near. He purifies us from all sin. Now, Paul says in verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner, eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we judged ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned with the world. There are some things, as I mentioned last week, that in order to prepare to to take of the Lord's Supper in a worthy manner, we want to first repent of any sin. There is danger. There is danger in partaking of communion in an unworthy manner because he just told us. He said, if you do, you you have three options. You may be weak. You may get sick. You may even die. Falling asleep means die. So it's better that we judge ourselves. In other words, we come before the Lord, we repent, we examine ourselves. Or we're going to come under the Lord's judgment. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to go to hell. It just means that we will be disciplined. And some will be disciplined um, by leaving this world. And so that's why we have to treat the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion seriously. And be prepared to partake in a worthy manner. Now... If we look at 2 Corinthians 
13.5, it says, examine yourself to see, Paul says, examine yourself to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourself. He says, do you not realize that Christ Jesus is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. Or are you disqualified? But I trust that you will know that we are not disqualified. Obviously, we're not disqualified. But the question we have to ask ourselves before we partake of communion is, how do we know if we are in the faith? Romans chapter 8, 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So how do we know we're in faith? Because the Holy Spirit testifies with our spirit that we belong to God. 1 John 2, verses um, 3 through 6, Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him, and does not keep his commandments is a liar. So we know we're in faith if we keep his commandments. That's how we know that we know him. 1 John 3.24 says, Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, Christ, and he, Christ, in him. And by this we know that he, Christ, abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So we also know that we're in faith because we know that Christ is abiding in us We are abiding in him, and we know that by the Spirit whom Christ has given us, the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4.13 says, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. Now, of course, the Holy Spirit testifies or bears witness to our spirit that we do belong to God. And the presence and the work of the Holy Spirit in us help us to know that we are children of God. So, we have to ask ourselves again, do we obey Christ and walk as Jesus walked in such a way that we know that the Spirit of Christ dwells in us? Have we placed our trust and faith in Christ alone for our salvation? Now, that's a pretty key thing. I do want to comment that if you have never been born again, in other words, you have not given your heart and life to Christ, you don't recognize him as your Savior, Savior, then you really shouldn't be partaking of the Lord's Supper. So it's very important that you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your salvation. Only those who have been genuinely converted by Jesus Christ and have entered into a saving relationship with him are worthy guests at the Lord's table or the communion table. You are worthy because of what Christ has done in you, not because of your own righteousness or goodness. So those, I want to just be clear again, those who do not have a saving faith with Jesus are not prepared for uh, the Lord's table. Neither will they be prepared for the wedding supper of the Lamb because they are not wearing the proper wedding garment. You can't get the proper wedding garment 
unless you are born again into the kingdom of God. Okay. We will go ahead and start chapter 12, verse 1. Paul writes now concerning spiritual gifts. Brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So let me just stop there. This whole chapter, chapter 12 in 1 Corinthians, is all about spiritual gifts. You might as well call it unity in diversity. And he's making it clear that, you know, they're Gentiles, and in the past, what did they do? They led they were led by dumb, he called them dumb idols. Well, they couldn't speak. They were idols that could not speak. Emphasizing the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ has a voice and he does speak to us. He says, so I make known to you that no one speaking by God calls Jesus a curse. In other words, you, if you have the Spirit of God living in you, you're not going to curse Jesus. You would never even dream of cursing Jesus. But on the other hand, you can't call Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Unless you have the Holy Spirit living in you, you cannot call him Lord. Verse 4, there are diversities of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works in all, who works all in all. In other words, we are all different people. We have many different gifts. Each of us have different ministries. We have different activities, a diverse, a diversity of activities. The point is we have the same Holy Spirit. And we have the same Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 6, or verse 7 rather. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But, here's the point, verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he, Christ, wills. That is one of the most important statements here in this chapter. The Holy Spirit will distribute gifts to each and every person individually as He wills. You can't will it. You can't make it happen. He gives what He wills. And it's not for your profit. It's never for your profit. It's always for the profit of someone else. 
it's always for the benefit of another person. So whether he gives you the working of miracles or faith or gifts of healings or a word of wisdom for someone, it's always for their benefit. It's always for their encouragement. It's always for their betterment and strength. So those gifts are not for you, but for the person you are ministering to. Verse 12. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. Again, Paul just making a clarification about the fact that Obviously, we come in all different colors and sizes and and um, uh, denominations, but we're all members of one body, and that body is Jesus Christ. For one, bo- for by one Holy Spirit, we were all baptized into one body, and it doesn't matter if you were a Jew or a Gentile or a slave or free; it doesn't matter. We've all been made to drink into one spirit. Verse 15. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, excuse me, if the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he, capital he, just as Christ pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be. I think that's, you know, it's pretty self-explanatory because we need each other. I mean, that's, what is the bottom line? How could a foot say, you know, I'm, just because I'm not a hand, I'm not of the body. Because we need the feet, we need ears, we need eyes, we need um, hearing, smelling, we need it all. So you might have a gift in one thing, another in another, somebody, something very different, but we function better when we are all together. And we all need each one. But we remember that the scripture says God, God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he's pleased. Okay? So... It's up to God. He's the one who has has put members in the body as he's pleased. Trust me, he knows what he's doing. Verse 20, but now indeed there are many members, yet one body. 
I think we would say amen. Many members, but one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather, those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Again, it would be foolish for us as Christ followers followers, to think that we don't need a specific person or we don't need a person that has this gift or whatever because we have need of everybody in the body, especially even the weaker members. You see, those, even those who we, we think in our mind, they're less honorable You see what Paul said? He said, on those people, that's who you should bestow greater honor. And why would that be? Because there are so many people in this life here on earth that have never been honored. They weren't honored by their parents. They weren't honored by their siblings. They weren't honored by their uh, fellow students growing up in school. And therefore, they deserve greater honor. So the weak ones, the weak ones are the ones that we should bestow greater honor. And we give greater honor to that part which lacks it. Because you know what? We don't want any schism. We don't want division in the body, do we? No. We want to care for everybody the same, but that the members, Paul says, should have the same care for one another. So that if one person suffers in the body, boy, oh boy, you know, we want to suffer with that person. We want to have compassion and try to understand where they're coming from. Now, if one person's honored, wow. You know what? We want to rejoice with that one person. We want to give honor. And I can't tell you how many times I just, I can just recall, wow, how I just, I saw the opposite happening in the body of Christ um, that that I was part of. And that was very distressing to me. I, I did not like that. I did not like that. You know, somebody was honored, but nobody wanted to rejoice with that person. You know, that, well, I'll just leave it at that. I think the scripture is very clear. It tells us exactly how we should behave toward each other in the body of Christ. This is as, this is as simple as it gets. If you want to understand how to get along in the body, just read this over and over again. 
and you'll get it. You'll understand how we're supposed to be with one another, how we're supposed to treat one another, how we're supposed to care for one another. Because the whole point is, Paul says, there should be no schism. In other words, no division in the body so that all the members have the same care for one another. That's where we need to be. Unfortunately, I don't think that's where we are. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and members individually, and God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, after that miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, variety of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have the gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I will show you a more excellent way. What Paul has uh, distinguished here in these last several scriptures is he has laid the foundation for the church. We have first the apostle. This is this is what the body's supposed to look like, folks. You are supposed to have apostles, prophets, teachers, um, evangelists, workers of miracles, um, gifts of healing. People with gifts of gifts of helps, administration, a variety varieties of tongues, gifts of healing. But I don't know that we see that in the church today, not at least in America. But Paul says, earnestly desire the best gifts. And yet he said, I will show you a more excellent way. I will close with this. There should not be a gap between chapter twelve and thirteen. Because the more excellent way that Paul is speaking about, when he says, I will show you a more excellent way, he's talking about love. And he gets into that in chapter 13. That is the love chapter. As I mentioned before, I'm going to skip 13 and 14. We've talked about it before, um, so I don't feel any need to discuss those chapters. And next week we will start on chapter 15. So this is Don Noble of Pure Heart Ministries. Um, you can go to www.pureheart.today and listen to this podcast again. I bless you, and I would ask that you would help bless this ministry. You can write or send a check to Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia. That's Pure Heart Ministries, P.O. Box 85, Valley Grove, West Virginia, 26060. With that, I look forward to being with you next week. Shalom, shalom. Peace be unto you.